Heavenly Father, today as we uh, worship you through your story, may we see a better picture of who you are and your love for us. So just guide our thoughts, um, help us just to understand you more. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, every Christmas, I think, is the same. Experience the same things. You smell the same smells. Uh, if you go get a Christmas tree, that Christmas tree is a wonderful fragrance in your home. How many people are real Christmas tree people? It's about the same response as first service. Florida people hate Christmas trees. Maybe, maybe, your palm, maybe you have palm trees. I don't know. Maybe you do that. But if you get a real Christmas tree or, or cookies, hot chocolate, those aromas are just so good. Or uh, maybe it's the decorations. They're the same every year. You unbox that same bow and have to iron out the wrinkles. The same wreath goes on the door. The same box of Christmas lights that didn't work the year before still don't work. Isn't it amazing? Every year we do this. Uh, everything's the same. Over and over. You go to church, Christmas is the same. You sing the same Christmas carols. You hear the same Christmas story and the same Christmas sermon. But I wonder if even though we hear the same Christmas story every year, I wonder if there's more in it than meets the eye. Or I wonder if we revisit it and listen even more carefully, if we can hear some lessons from the manger. So today, we're diving into Luke chapter 2. Now, you can look it up in your Bible if you'd like, but it's only two verses long, and so I'm putting it on the screen today. I never do that, but today it's just going to be on the screen. We're jumping into the story of Christ's birth at the shepherd's part. I don't know what it's like to be a shepherd, but I would hate it, I think, because in my mind's eye, I imagine these shepherds on the hillsides near Bethlehem, and it's freezing cold, it's pitch black, and there's probably uh, a little drizzle happening. They've got a flickering campfire. They're, they're wrapped up in their coarse camel hair blankets that are itchy, but they're warm. And they're just miserable. Uh, these are the washed up guys that weren't smart enough to get a, a real job. And so they just take care of the animals. And as they're there out in the fields, the angels beam down the corridor of the sky. And I can't imagine what that was like because all of a sudden they go from cold and damp into dry and warm because these, this angel enters the scene. God's glory is shown. God's glory isn't some flickering flashlight. It's not a, a, a wimping candle. God's glory is so powerful that it commands the darkness to flee. And as this angel comes to the shepherd, this angel has a message. It's in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what it says on the screen. The angel says to the shepherds, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This is big news for these shepherds. They're not the scholars. They're not the smart ones. These aren't the engineers. These aren't the executives. These aren't the, uh, the, the CFOs. These are shepherds, the guys that don't know much, but they do know one thing because they've been waiting their whole life for it. They've been looking for the Messiah, the Savior to come. Their parents have told them, their grandparents have told them, they know that Jesus, the Messiah, is supposed to come, and they can't believe their ears when this angel says that he has been born. In fact, they can't believe it enough that they say, yeah, right, prove it. And I would do the same thing, I think. I mean, I, I know an angel appearing is pretty fantastic, but they say, show us the proof. And the angel says this in verse 12. Here's what the angel says. 
Here's the verse we focus on today. The angel says, this will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. They say, prove it. Give us the sign. He says, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. Now pause for a minute to do a little word study here. Because this isn't just an ordinary sign. They're looking for proof. They're looking for a sign. The angel doesn't just give them a a sign like a directional sign or or a sign on a bathroom door that says what gender the bathroom is for. This isn't just a sign. In fact, if you go to the Greek, it has a definite article in front of it. It is the sign signifying that this isn't just some natural occurrence. This is supernatural. This isn't just an ordinary sign. It's an extraordinary sign. It's not just something that happens by chance or by luck. This is a sign that is an absolute miracle. This is a sign like the power that was given to part the Red Sea or to walk on water or to bring a man back from the dead. This is a supernatural miracle that's happening. These, those signs uh, are signs that only God can do. These are, these are supernatural more than human signs. It's a sign where it shows that the divine God of the universe has now stepped into and intervened in human history, a history that's destined for death because of sin, a history filled with worsening conditions, a history that is destined for demise without a savior. But what kind of a sign is a baby? That's what you came up with, God, a baby? Can't you do better? Why did God use a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger to signify that the Messiah was here? You know, if you landed in JFK Airport, you've never been to America before, you get off the airplane, you get the baggage claim, of course your bag's lost, but you're there to meet someone, and you, and you ask just a stranger, and you say, I'm here to meet the King of the United States. They would laugh at you because we don't have a king, we have a president. And they would say, oh, you want to meet the president? Uh, Here's how you know to find the president. Here are the signs to find him. You get back on another plane, you go back to Washington. When you get to Washington, you get off the plane, you start walking down, you see all the buildings, look for the big white one. It's called the White House. That's where he lives. There'll be lots of people milling around, so you don't know which one is the president. But just look for specific signs. Like, if you see the man that climbs onto Air Force One, the the airplane, I think there's a helicopter, a presidential helicopter, that could be him. But you'll know it's him because there are police officers and plainclothes detectives that are armed and ready. They're around him. There's probably a band nearby playing Hail to the Chief. I'll be looking for these signs. If you see the man that's covered in reporters and people surrounding him, then you know you found the president. To find the president, you've got to know the signs. And to find the Messiah, the Savior, to know that God had come into human history, you would have to know the sign too. And the angel says, it's a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And as I think of this story, I'm more amazed at who our God is. Because the description of God's power doesn't have to be displayed with pomp and ceremony and and declarations and and all people surrounding him. He comes in the humble form of a baby. Isn't our God awesome? Even though it wasn't a massive event that was worldwide, the news began to spread. 
Even King Herod, he had read in Micah chapter 5 too the prediction of Christ coming to Bethlehem. The Jews had read about it. They were so excited about this. And there's a lot of people that just missed it altogether. And if we miss this verse, and if we don't read this verse and focus on this verse, I think that we'll miss out on a lot, lot too. It's just one verse. It's just a sentence. But there's a whole lot in this one verse about Jesus in the manger scene, a message about the gospel and a message about our Savior. So today we look at three lessons from the manger. Are you ready this morning? Yes. Mm, that's weak. Are you sleeping? Are you ready this morning? Lessons from the manger. Here's the very first one. It describes who God is. It's his humanity. The angel says, you will find a baby. If you read this in Greek, it would say an infant, a human kid, nothing special, nothing divine. It's just a baby. I vividly remember the birth of my two kids, like, I, like I'm standing there right now. Uh, what an incredible time. The nurses and the doctors are scurrying around the room like, like they do this all the time. And yet as they move around and they, they're looking at things and checking, checking numbers and all, I'm standing here and I'm watching a miracle happen. This baby that came from nothing that has been growing and alive for nine months is now alive and it's fragile and it needs cared for and, and I created it. And Jesus, God, becomes human just like you and I do too. I'm talking completely human. He was born just like you were born. He was fragile just like you were fragile. He needed his diaper changed just like you needed your diaper changed. He was a baby, a human baby in all of his humanity. God became human, as human as human can get. And he had to become human. In fact, I'll put it this way. What we could not do for ourselves, he did for us through his son becoming human. He had to become like us in order to save us. There was no other way. Amen. Lesson number two, lesson from the manger number two, it's this one. It's his helplessness. The angel says, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths. The King James Version calls it swaddling clothes. Now, if you've ever had a baby, and I know many of you have had babies, you know what swaddling is. Now, the Hebrew babies, this was their tradition. The baby's born, they're washed in water, they're covered in salt. Then they are swaddled, and they would take this cloth, a square piece of cloth, just like you have swaddled kids too, and they'd lay it like a diamond shape on the table, place the baby with one of the corners behind the baby's head, and you take that bottom part, you tuck it up, and then you wrap one side, and you wrap the other side. If you've ever had kids, you've done this as well, because kids like to be swaddled. Now, some kids are squirmers. Any, can I get a witness, anybody? You know the squirming kids. I had one squirmer and one not squirmer, and you'll have to figure out which one of my kids is that way. But, oh, I got good at swaddling pretty well, pretty fast, too. And, and the goal of swaddling is to, in a safe way, basically immobilize the child. And the judge of a good swaddle or good swaddler is if in the morning, if the baby is still swaddled. Because those squirming babies... Uh, it doesn't take much for them to get that little hand up there, and pretty soon they're all out. You see, I see heads nodding. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Swaddling immobilizes the child. They become helpless. And baby Jesus, whether he was a squirmer or not, he was swaddled, secured, 
unable to move. His clothing, his attire, the wrapping around him just kept him in a helpless state. And I can't help but think that Jesus as a baby was held helpless. And Jesus at his death, as he stood there before the Jewish authorities, maybe he's in handcuffs, maybe he's held some other way, yet even in his death, he was willfully helpless too. Jesus the baby was a helpless human, and that tells me something about who he came for. He didn't just come for the powerful. He didn't just come for the self-sufficient. He didn't just come to save those that are wealthy. He came for all. He came for the ones that are feeble. He came for the ones that are fragile. He came to save the ones that are, are failures. He came for the ones that need him the most. In fact, he was bound that we all might be set free. Lesson from the manger number three. Here it is on the screen. It's his humility. The angel says, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Now, when I think of a manger, this is what I think about. You see that little, uh, little wooden shindig thing over there with a the baby in it? That's what I think of a manger. We build them sometimes. We put them in the cradle or room. You know, we think of mangers, but this isn't what it was like. You know, Mary and Joseph, they're in Bethlehem. They're trying to find a room. The Holiday Inn is full. Marriott's full. They couldn't afford the Hilton, but it was full anyway. And as they're moving along, they have to get shuffled to this barn. But it's not a barn. It's just the stable, which is probably this cave cut out of the side of a mountain. I've been to Bethlehem. Some of you have too. It's just caves. And the, the shepherds would probably build these uh, stone walls to, to separate the two different compartments in the stable. And, and Mary and Joseph, they find themselves uh, surrounded by animals. Mary starts having contractions. Joseph's panicked. He has no idea what's happening. Didn't even know she was pregnant for a while. Her, I mean, come on, poor guy. There he is, and he's trying to figure out, what do I do about a crib? What do I do for uh, this baby? And so he, he finds this stone trough it's what they'd use, and he takes this straw, the leftover feed from a donkey, and he makes this bed for the Savior of the world to lie in. Every parent that has a baby, uh, there's a period of time, it's about a month before you have your first child, and panic sets in because the baby's room is not ready. You've all been there. You had nine months, and you waited till the last month to get it ready. For months, mom's been on Pinterest scrolling, looking for the cutest way, creative way to hang their baby's name on the wall above the, the crib. There's been debates about the color of the room. Baby doesn't care about it. This is really for the parents. We all know. Uh, you've already thought about which rocker, the glider that you want. You know the corner of the room it's going to be in. But the whole baby's room revolves around one thing, and it's the crib. And when I had Caffrey, before we had Caffrey, Jen had Caffrey, whatever, let's be honest here. When he was coming along about the month before, we had to get a crib, and, and so we thought, what can we find? And you could go to Target and spend a fortune on a crib, but I like Facebook Marketplace because I'm cheap. And so I got on Facebook Marketplace and wanted to find something affordable and nice, and so we found something in Woodstock, Georgia, just on the other side of Atlanta. So we loaded up under our Toyota 4Runner and drove across Atlanta to Woodstock, Georgia, to some stranger's house that their baby was grown and they didn't have any use for this anymore, and there it was. It was a, it was a package deal, a glider a dresser, and a crib. It wasn't special. It was just four wooden sides, a springy platform, and about a two and a half inch mattress, or however big those things are. 
not comfortable at all. And we get this thing and we bring it back to our house. It's nothing special. It's just a place for a baby to sleep. Babies don't care where they sleep. They'll sleep anywhere. Yet Jesus, the Savior of the world, he winds up in the most humble, makeshift farm trough crib ever. Instead of a memory foam cooling mattress, he ended up with livestock leftovers. There was no monogrammed sheets covering his mattress. He just had straw. Is it a coincidence that Jesus' birth reminds me so much of his death? He started in a cave-like tomb, and he ends up in a tomb too. Baby Jesus, he bears the only cross that a baby can bear, poverty. And at the end of his life, he bears the cross for you and me too. He goes from crib to cross, from crib to the crypt. And this was the true incarnation of a God becoming man to save the world. I love how Paul puts it in Philippians as he describes this humility of God. He writes in Philippians 2, he says these words, he says, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, just because he loved you and me. God became man to save us. Nothing about the baby is supernatural. There were no halos over the baby. There wasn't antiphonal choirs there in the cave tombs, stable. There weren't bodyguards. If you'd been there, would you have believed that this was the Savior? If all you had was Luke chapter 2, verse 12, one verse in the Bible, what would you know about God? You'd know and understand the depths of what God did to become one of us, to save us. Uh, you'd know that the world wanted nothing to do with him and probably still doesn't. You would see the shadow of the cross even in the manger, and you'd see the simplicity of the gospel right there in the manger too. Jesus' birth, it's a, it's a reminder that he's more than just a reason for us to celebrate Christmas. <laughs> he's more than just a baby that gives us an excuse to put lights on our houses and put Christmas trees up. He's more than just a, a reason for us to wrap presents and give them to each other. The birth of Jesus is a reminder of the mission and the reason why he came, and that was to die for you and me so that we can have eternal life with him. You know, there's a, a verse that you would not think is a Christmas verse, but I think it's a Christmas verse. It's one you know well. In fact, I think it's uh, probably the most well-known verse in the Bible. It's one that we all have memorized, and I think it's a Christmas verse because it shares the gospel and the reason why he came. It's in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, and it goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the Christmas gospel message. A message that says that God did whatever it took to become one of us so that he could save us. That's the story of Christmas. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, this morning, as always, we are amazed at your love for us. <laughs> we don't deserve it. We don't understand it but we love it. And God, because of what you've done, we love you right back. God, we can't wait to see you. In Jesus' name, amen.